Welcome to the Polymer Science Podcast. I am Dr. Alicia Bletis. And I'm Jacob Shackman. In this podcast, we'll be speaking to researchers from around the world and talk to them about how their work is improving our daily lives. I hope you enjoy our conversation and that you learn something new. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode on the Polymer Science Podcast. Today we are talking to Adam Hecht. He is the co-founder of the company called Dive Design, and his company focuses on helping businesses navigate and access the benefits of 3D printing. Adam Hecht is passionate about 3D printing and has developed so many products using a 3D printer, such as prosthesis for a man's best friend and furniture, as well as pulling out trash from the ocean and changing it into something that is beneficial and useful for society. So he'll be talking to us a bit more about 3D printing today and um, explaining some of the additional features uh, that goes into developing some of the products that he has made with his company so far. He especially speaks about um, TPU and TPR, which is thermoplastic polyurethane and thermoplastic rubber, and how he utilizes this in prosthesis. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Let me know what you think in the comments and share this episode if you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. Welcome, Adam Hecht, to the Polymer Science Podcast. Thank you very, very much for joining us um, for this episode. Um, so you are the co-founder, designer, and director of Additive Manufacturings for a company called Dive Design. Um, and you're currently re- residing in New York, correct? Yes, actually. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. Um, we are, we're just outside of New York. We're in New Jersey, but yeah, right on the border, so you could, you could go either way. <laughs> awesome. Could you just please introduce yourself to the listeners out there and tell us a bit more about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, my background's in, in industrial design, um, so not exactly polymer science, but it's, it's, been, a, it's a, been a very big part of the journey, as, as I'm sure you've seen. Um, but, you know, we really started Dive as, as a way to get involved in a range of different products and technologies. And uh, it's really, you know, grown the past few years in a lot of interesting directions, um, primarily around additive manufacturing. And that's, that's really what we do uh, today is in helping companies to utilize it, creating our own products and brands that utilize it, and really helping to share and tell all of the amazing stories happening in the field. Uh, so our goal is really to help accelerate the adoption. Awesome. Um, so you work with 3D printing and designing and making uh, things like prosthetics, for instance. Uh, but you also, you, like I mentioned, you founded your own company, uh, The Dive Design. And um, I'm very curious to know, just in general, how did, you man- how did you manage to get into polymer science as a field? And what led you to co-founding this company? Yeah, well... I guess starting with, with founding the company, uh, to give a little bit more context, um, you know, my partner and I really started out of college just doing freelance work, uh, a lot of industrial design, um, freelance helping local startups and, and inventors to uh, you know, prototype ideas and validate them and bring them to market. So we were kind of all hands in, in in a bunch of different areas, um, just surrounding product development. Um, and through that, and through some really interesting people we met, uh, we learned about the animal prosthetics field and uh, started to see you know, how, how far behind it was to human prosthetics and, and the devices they were making. 
Um, and it was really interesting to us because a lot of the, the processes and tools were very labor intensive, really manual. Um, and, you know, as us as two outsiders that were a little bit, I think, naive to what was possible at the time, we thought, huh, you know, we're 3D printing prototypes in school. I mean, you know, we're making like small plastic parts, uh, not being exactly functional, but maybe there's a way we could help with 3D printing. And that's kind of what led us to really look into the, the polymer side, the materials, what was possible, because we didn't really have any reference. Like people weren't even um, really printing human prosthetics at the time, uh, other than just like behind the scenes prototypes. So uh, that was that was our, you know, our debut and in, in looking into what was possible and, and what got us really interested in, in the material science behind it. Wow, that's awesome. And then in general, how did you find polymer science? How did you get into that field? Like when, when did you feel... I really want to become, want to go further into science and that type of research. Um, it was kind of necessity out of the products. Uh, we, you know, I wouldn't say we're, we're exactly polymer scientists ourselves, but we work with many um, because when you're trying to uh, solve old problems, you know, or identify new applications, you can't always use, um, the, you know, what's what's available today, especially with 3D printing being such a new industry. Um, there's still you know, so many materials and so many opportunities mm -hmm. to come, we're still kind of just scratching the surface. So, uh, you know, we have to work very closely with, with our partners on the material side um, to really help co-develop new solutions, new blends. Um, you know, some of our applications are, are really unique compared to what people have been using 3D printing for in the past. You know, we're not just looking for rigid parts for jigs and fixtures, or we're not just looking for really high detail plastics for models, we're looking for things that are flexible and uh, impact resistant and, you know, can really survive out in the real world. Um, you know, things like for dogs, for example, mm -hmm. I mean, everything to them is a chew toy, right? <laughs> so how do you, <laughs> how do you make sure that not only does it survive its intended functionality, but also as a chew toy? <laughs> uh, so, you know, we really have to dig into the science behind it and say, you know, not only Will this survive as a product? But is this safe? Is this, uh, you know, is this going to cause any harm? So, uh, you know, the polymer science conversations, it's a really important one, especially with living creatures. That's awesome. Um, now you've mentioned, this is not a top topic that I really want to um, get into with you. Um, I'll, I'll, there's a few other things I want to talk to you about as well, but you are currently, or you have made prosthetics for man's best friend, dogs, and I want to know more about that. Like, what goes into the whole process of developing a prosthetic limb for a disabled animal like a dog? Um, yeah, please tell me more. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I mean, it, I guess to start, we can take a look at the, the conventional process. And this is the process they were using for dogs is also very similar to what they still use for humans, where um, they're basically taking a uh, cast of a limb, you know, wrapping it with a, a tape, almost like if you ever broke your arm and you got a fiberglass cast, it's like the exact same material that they'll wrap the limb with. And again, whether it's a human or a dog, same process, they take it off, they fill it with plaster that then hardens, uh, and then they're able to sculpt that and make modifications and smooth it out before they take either a, um, a thermo set or a thermoformable plastic to heat up and, and pull over it, almost like vacuum forming. Okay. Uh, that's how they make plastic devices. Um, or they're using resins and composites to make a really, really durable um, uh, socket or shell uh, that's going to perform a lot better than, than a polymer for, for certain cases. 
Um, but these processes are, it's almost like an art form, right? You have to really be skilled at not only like the steps, but also mm -hmm. uh, the muscle memory to create these. So it's a hard field to break into. It takes a lot of training and, and the process itself, even when you are an expert, is still very messy and time consuming. And, you know, there is still a lot of like risks and failures um, involved. So when we came in, really looked closely into what they were currently doing, uh, breaking it down step by step and at every part of the process asking why are they doing that and how can we bring digital technologies into the picture because obviously anytime it's digital there's no waste there's no you know lost parts and pieces there's no uh none of the, the, the challenges that you see with working directly in in the, the plasters or, or plastics um and you know from from the first step i mean you know from the casting we're, we're already able to incorporate things like 3d scanning um, when we have dogs come in we're able to directly 3d scan them uh, using something as simple as an iPhone. You know, wow. we're not using $10,000, um, you know, scanners that they're using in these clinics um, because there's, there's no need for it. Uh, there's a lot of clinics realizing that as well on the human side that they can just use an iPhone. It lowers the barrier. <laughs> right. So it's not only lowering the barrier for animals, but also on the human side, especially in developing countries. So, you know, we basically look to the latest and greatest um, at each step, starting with the scanning. Uh, we're able to take that scan and bring it into another software uh, where we're able to create a custom um, design automation algorithm. Uh, because anytime you create something custom, you're, if you're using conventional CAD tools, you're kind of starting from scratch each time. Nice. Where when you're making many custom devices, you, you need to automate that. Otherwise, you're, again, starting from scratch with each design, which just is not scalable. It takes too long, too many um, variables involved. So we were able to create um, really an, an automated workflow for that, where the computer does most of the processing. We're able to identify, all right, there's a leg here, there's uh, not a leg here, this is how the alignment should be for the specific, specific pet, and the computer will compute the rest from a few basic inputs. Um, so it's, it's a fairly fast process. Um, and then from there, it, it's sliced, it's basically put into a software um, that breaks down layer by layer for the 3D printer to read, uh, and then it prints overnight. They take between 15 and 24 hours, uh, depending on the size. Yeah, so it's, you know, instead of a, a ton of hand labor and wasted material, it's surprising. We come in the next morning, it's, it's ready to go, and we clean it up, assemble it, and uh, we'll do the fitting with the pet, or we'll send it out anywhere in the world. Um, so... But it sounds like a lot of optimization went into the process and now it's running nice and efficient. So, well done. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it, was, it was a heavy lift to get started, a lot of prototypes, especially on the material side. That was the biggest, because we knew how to scan, we knew how to design it, we knew how to you know, automate those processes, but we didn't know, and nobody at the time really knew how to print something that large with the, the functionality we needed um, for that price point that we were trying to serve. Um, so it was really the material that, that took the longest to figure out. I mean, the, it was it's a funny story how we actually found the right material. Um, we had just started the business and we didn't really, we didn't have any funding. We were starting out of a basement um, and we had one printer and we had PLA, like the most basic 3D printing material. <laughs> um, and we, we saw on Craigslist, somebody was selling an entire trunk of materials. They were getting rid of all their 3D printing oh, stuff. So we okay. took a subway out to Brooklyn and picked up a huge bin of every kind of 3D printing material, things we'd never even heard of. And one by one, we went through at least 40 different options over the span of uh, weeks 
trying to identify <laughs> the right one. So it wasn't exactly a science to start. It was just, you know, try everything and, and hopefully we'll find the right answer. Well, that's, that's the best way of doing it sometimes and yeah. the way you discover things. So, well, wow. yes. but that brings me to my next question. Like the, um, what type of polymeric material that you decide on eventually, what seems to be working the best for, um, yeah. being safe for the dog, uh, flexible, but hard enough as well as being a chewable, you know, side snack for the yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, I wish I could say that, you know, we, we thought about those those qualities and the perfect material was right there, you know, waiting for us. But, uh, you know, with this product um, being something that was previously made out of polypropylene or carbon fiber, mm -hmm. um, that's kind of where we tried to start. We okay. were thinking, all right, let's, the, the, the ones that people had made in the past were using these materials. You know, they, the challenge was they could only make one or two a month because they would take 15 to 20 hours to make a piece. So we thought, let's, let's start there. And polypropylene at the time was almost unprintable um, just because of how it contracts. Um, yeah. We print especially complex geometries, even though it had the flexibility that we needed. Um, carbon fiber materials were... Uh, you know, they were very um, strong, but, you know, they, they were also brittle mm. uh, because it wasn't continuous strands of fiber. Uh, and we had industrial, you know, companies trying nylons and every material with us. And then finally, it was, uh, you know, one of the, the half-empty spools in the bottom of the barrel that we were like, hey, let's try this for something. We had a, somebody asked for a, a duck prosthetic. And we thought maybe this flexible material would, would work for the duck. It was bright orange, a perfect match. And we tried it and we felt it and we realized, wow, this is really flexible here. But the other parts are really stiff. It almost feels like nylon. Maybe we can balance it out to have flexibility in some areas, but rigidity in others. And, and that's when the, you know, the, the switch was flipped in our minds and we realized TPU was like that perfect material. Mm -hmm. And then it just so happens that, of course, so many dog toys and other dog products are made of like TPU and TPR and like this flexible, chewable, really strong material. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we realized how, how widely it's already being used, but we just didn't think about it initially because they weren't using it for prosthetics or nobody's other than like flexible liners for certain sockets. Like nobody's using flexibles and prosthetics realm like that. Wow. So it took a little while to get there, but finally uh, we did. <laughs> this is so interesting. And we're not going to yeah. gloss over the fact that you had to make a prosthetic leg for a duck. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes. Yep. That's so cool. Is it like a real duck, like a live duck, or was it for a toy or an actual no, duck? No, it was, it was a, real, <laughs> a real duck with, uh, you know, a missing part oh. of one of the limbs and uh, we were able to, it was just one of the first non-animal or non-dog cases we did. That's so amazing. Uh, it was just, yeah, it was amazing. The duck like took off running for the first Aww. time. Like everybody was in <laughs> tears. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. That's so sweet. Is there any other animals that you have worked with besides dogs and ducks? That's, yep. Everything from numerous ducks to uh, goats. I, this is a helmet for a goat. That we did it's same material very flexible it was for a goat that had a, a hole in his skull oh and of course goodness. goats are headbutting everything so they wanted something to protect it uh so we're going to use that same really impact resistant um you know flexible material and uh we've done tortoises really big carts for big really like huge you know i think it was like 100 pounds like missing front legs oh my goodness. uh we've done 
We've done little wheels for really little turtles. Um, and we're currently working on, on uh, a prosthesis for an elephant. Wow. Okay. It's being printed today, so that that's an exciting one. Wow, that is quite fascinating. I imagine that takes a few, a few, well, a couple of kilograms of plastic or more. Yeah, I think I think it came to around five kilograms. So mm-hmm. it's um, the part of the device that we're printing is uh, what they call a thigh cuff. It's a flexible um, cuff ultimately that goes around the thigh of the elephant and it helps to hold the carbon fiber prosthesis in place. It's okay. hard to keep with such a big animal. It's, you really want to make sure that the prosthesis doesn't fall off. Exactly. It's really important yeah. that it stays on out in the wilderness. Um, and so this is a really big flexible collar that is going to help to keep it suspended. And, uh, and they said, you know, that flexible material is, is perfect because we're, they're fitting it in Sri Lanka. And so they're like, we really have one shot for this. If it's oh, a little bit too small or too big, it's not going to work. So because it's flexible, it really conforms very, very well um, to any you know, deviations in size. Wow, that's actually so fascinating. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So have you met the elephant? Or <laughs> is it... I have not, unfortunately, oh. but my partner... My partner Alex is actually going out with the crew um, okay. to Sri Lanka in a few weeks. So he'll get to meet uh, the elephant. Oh, wow. Um, now, okay, so I wanted to know also the cost efficiency, um, when you compare this to like other prosthesis, how does it compare? Yeah, it's, um, you know, as far as material goes, um, typically extrusion materials are a little bit less expensive than like, uh, you know, getting a big sheet of polypropylene. And one of the reasons is because you have a lot less waste. So to make one prosthesis, you know, the conventional approach or for humans, I mean, you're basically using an entire sheet and then cutting all of, all of the excess off, just leaving like the little remaining section that you use. Um, so, you know, even though the material cost, you know, ounce to ounce is comparable, uh, we have to use a lot less of it. Um, so that's been, that's been a really nice added benefit of using 3D printing. Um, the other nice part is the fact that uh, I don't know if you can see, but it's it's hollow on the inside. There's there's a lattice, okay. so it's it's a it's it's really a um, what we call an infill. It's mostly air, so there's no dense material. So we're, we're really able to cut down on the materials used, oh, yes. um, which helps to save a lot of costs, and it's also better for the environment, a lot less That's waste. Um, <laughs> there's a lot less cost involved as far as um, actual labor. Uh, these previously took 15 to 20 hours to make by hand. Like I said, we're down to like three or four hours a piece of, wow. of actual like physical labor of design, uh, post-processing, setting things up. Um, so we've really been able to dramatically cut costs and, and time associated. Um, for us, the, the biggest uh, factor, the biggest cost is, was the initial development. Um, it, wasn't some, it wasn't just a new product, it was an entirely new mm-hmm. system with multiple technologies that had to really be developed um, to get started. So for us, it was really, and for a lot of people with 3D printing, it's, it's the initial investment. That's true. But now that it's up and running, it's become very, very efficient, very scalable. Um, you know, we've gone from helping the clinics that were originally making one or two devices a month to now doing upwards of 30 um, across only a handful of 3D printers. So it's, it's been very scalable. Um, and, you know, because of that, we're hoping to, you know, get more involved in, in more, not only more countries, but more clinics and, and uh, veterinary offices. So oh, yes. 
it's been really exciting because of that. That would be amazing. Um, so Dive Design has also done many other things besides prosthesis. Um, you have in particularly made like, like furniture and um, other types of collaboration with other companies. Can you tell me a bit more about the 3D printing projects that you have done um, with other collaborators? Yeah, so we we um, we really like collaborating with 3D printing material or uh, machine companies because um, we we find that well, personally, like we we really believe that 3D printing is such an interesting, like fascinating industry. Like it's just one of the coolest things. Um, and yeah, we're a little bit biased, but you know, I can definitely attest that other people think it's really cool as well. Um, you know, that being said, like. The marketing, the storytelling around 3D printing um, just felt wasn't really very good. It wasn't very transparent or you know authentic to, to the reality of utilizing it. Um, it. You know, just kind of felt behind in the times. And as a company that's completely focused on applications, design, engineering, um, but also being designers and you know storytelling being such a big part of what we do, um, you know, we thought hey, there's got to be a way to bring more light to the really cool applications that don't really get talked about um, or can't can't be talked about right that's a big problem in the industry like they might have the coolest uh, application but they're not willing to talk about it so nobody knows really how amazing the technology is so you know we started to build relationships with these companies to say hey let's help to facilitate these projects let's help to find really interesting companies and applications and uh, be at the intersection of not only solving real problems, but also doing it in a way that we can talk about it to get other people inspired, to get other people, you know, giving it a try when, you know, we know firsthand just how much potential there is. Uh, and it's and it's led to a lot of really fun um, projects. Like we, we just did a really big um, group of projects for a trade show, uh, everything from full-scale 3D printed furniture to parts for robot dogs that are used for like patrolling remote, you know, properties and, uh, you know, hydroponic like plant towers for indoor gardening, like all of these really fun applications for real companies that at, before previously were like 3D printing is, you know, it's, it's, it's not a real thing. Like it's, yeah. it's for, for toys and, and prototypes. You can't print, you know, actual furniture or, you know, actual like housings for electronics. So you know, we got to really change a lot of people's minds um, and solve some actual problems doing so. That's true. I feel uh, beforehand, like what you mentioned, 3D printing for me was also just for like, okay, so we need to replace the plastic lid on our doer system or something. So right. let's print that or, you know, let's print a character for uh, someone's birthday <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. But it, it, the prosthesis, that part, when I heard about it, I was like, that opened up a whole new idea of 3D printing for me. Um, and yeah. that's just amazing how you just made it grow into something more like that. So. That's fascinating. So you've um, this is this one particular thing that you've also done where you collaborated with someone um, using a filament made from fishing nets that you pulled from the ocean and ideally then turned trash into something amazing that you could utilize again. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Absolutely. So you know, I, I definitely didn't wasn't the one that personally you know pulled the nets from the ocean, <laughs> um, but there's a company in. Um, in Europe, I think they're in, I think they're in Amsterdam or the, the Netherlands. Um, I could be totally wrong on that, but they're called Reflow, and they're dedicated to making filaments and three D printing materials uh, entirely out of uh, different waste streams. 
Um, and one of their, their newest materials, it's called Ocean RGFPP. It's a glass fiber reinforced polypropylene. It's made from like 75% uh, recycled fishing nets that another company they partnered with was able to extract from different pollution patches and in the ocean and they convert it into actually a really, really good filament because polypropylene itself has been for years really tricky to print. This one's not only polypropylene, it's made from garbage. <laughs> um, and it's been, when we heard about it, we were like, we have to try this. We have to do a project with them. We have to talk about it because um, it's just so exciting. Like the fact that you can take literally garbage and, and make something that, you know, I think personally, I believe it's, it's really beautiful. I haven't even posted the final pictures yes, of it yet. I was going to um, ask. I still don't know what the product is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, by the time uh, this comes out, I'm sure it'll be out. But uh, it's, it's a small piece of furniture. It's a small side table. Oh, so cool. um, and, you know, you'll see when we post the pictures, like the, the unique approach we took to it. Um, because it's 3D printing, because it's not just, we're not just making the exterior of the part. We're designing the interior. We used a really cool translucent tabletop and it almost creates like an infinity effect as you look into the inside oh, nice. and you see all of the detail from above, um, the way the light refracts through it. Uh, it's just a really neat piece and I think it's just a, a testament to, you know, what you can do with, with waste, what you do with garbage and, <laughs> and repurposing it, and just how much potential there there is for it. That's awesome. Um, so. Just to, let's just get a little technical about the actual 3D printers. I don't have a lot of knowledge about 3D printers myself. Um, we just got, a, what is the name? We just got a Creality Ender 5, I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, and we've only printed the PLA bunny with that one so far. <laughs> and Very the small nice. model of an ectotheratin, because that's what we do here. <laughs> we analyze and do single particle analysis and so on. Um, but can you tell me a bit more about the machinery that you work with and the type of 3D printers that you have and how many are dispersed in your company? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we started with one printer. Um, I had it in my bedroom during the pandemic. <laughs> uh, and now we have like 16. So the wow. past two years have been, I've been busy, lots of printing, uh, lots of new applications and um, for us, being that we're a startup, being that we're completely bootstrapped, you know, for us it was every printer, every decision we made was out of necessity and was, was just enough to get by. You know, we, we never um, invested in anything more than we immediately needed, so basically yeah. we didn't get a new printer until it had paid for itself. Oh, I see. Um, so, and that's the really cool part about 3D printing and, you know, being able to start with a $400 machine that paid for itself after like one or two prints. I mean, it's, it's just a really cool thing to see happen. Um, so, you know, over the past few years, we've been able to really strategically scale um, different sectors of, of our production facilities. So on one end, we have um, machines for the animal prosthetics that do very well with TPU um, and other flexible materials. And then we have machines for um, more uh, technical, higher detail parts like resin printers. We're able to use different resins to print very accurate prototypes. Um, not always the most durable materials, but when you need um, a really good representation of tolerances before you maybe use a more expensive process, we're able to utilize those. Um, and then we have much larger machines now uh, for things like, see behind me, the 3D printed tree that's about 14 feet tall. So that's another class of 3D printer. Um, also a, a FDM, a filament-fed system, where it's basically like a giant hot glue gun. 
uh, that just, you know, the, the layers are like, uh, the, the largest we found are like eight millimeter wide layers in, in a single pass. So it's like a really big hot glue gun, which enables us to print very big pieces very quickly. Um, and no, it's not the highest detail, but for certain applications, you don't need that detail that you would for a resin printer. So uh, the reason we have so many different types is for all the different applications. Each is, uh, you, know, you gotta use the right tool for the job. Um, we're hoping to continue growing our, our capabilities and what we can work with. That's awesome, yeah. Um, is there anything else that you are currently working on or would you, that you would like for the listeners to know about? Um, and where they can find you on social media perhaps as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we talked about Dive, we talked about 3D Pets. Our, the biggest, the latest uh, endeavor is definitely the, the tree you see behind me. This is a brand called the Willow. Um, where we're really hoping to uh, begin to create more innovative, sustainable furniture for commercial spaces because there's just I think not, a, not a really good um, conversation around sustainability when it comes to these larger spaces. Um, with 3D printing, we're able to use these waste streams to create these pieces on demand, one at a time, without waste, without shipping you know, extensive distances for molded parts. Um, so it's something we're really excited about. Uh, our first product is for the purpose of uh, sound absorption, uh, helping with acoustic dampening and helping to bring in, uh, I think, better ambiance to certain spaces rather than just using flat panels mm -hmm. on a wall. Um, and we're hoping to introduce other commercial furniture pieces with that. Um, and we just launched about a month ago, so it's been an exciting new journey for us as we continue to build our own brands. Uh, if you look to learn more about Willow, it's it's Willow. Uh, dot design. Uh, our socials are, I think, it's, uh, at willow.design.us for Dive or Dive Design Co. And for 3D Pets, it's at 3D.pets. Awesome. Yep. I'll also add all that links in the show notes so everyone can go ahead awesome. and look about it. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for your time and for talking to us about all this and all your projects. It's really, really interesting and I love the work that you're doing. It's very, very amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on the show.